On this week's Thoughts from the Shade, the Eagles were walloped at Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday by the 49ers. We do have a call into the spot in the shade line on the Big Five basketball tournament, in-season tournament that went down last week. The college football regular season is in the books, and the four teams for the playoffs are set, but not without controversy. The Flyers had two big wins over Pittsburgh, and we'll wrap the show with Picks of the Week. Welcome back to Thoughts from the Shade. It's episode 113. And I have to say, the 13, I know there's an 100 in front of it, but I think the 13 is fitting uh, for the 13-0 Florida State Seminoles that got snubbed from this year's college football playoff. Uh, We will get to that later. But first, I have to welcome in a hardworking man, He's in the, I will say, but I don't mean it, the great state of New York on business. Uh, It's 1020 Eastern as we sit here and record, but the man does not miss when needed after the Eagles lost. So let's clap it up and welcome in Bomb. Bomb, are you there? Do we have you? Can you hear me now, G? I got you, man. I, I can hear you now. Good. How you doing, buddy? It's uh, it's late. It's um, a lot of guys would dodge this and say, "Oh, I'm I'm a, I'm gone. I'm away on work." No, 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 no. I'm here. We we have to talk about the abomination that was this performance on Sunday. And uh, I just want to let the people know I'm here to talk about it. I'm here to diagnose. I'm here to give some perspective. Um, you know, on my on my way to the train station and out of the greater metro Philadelphia area. I heard a lot of prognosticators. I heard a lot of people calling into your legacy media. The sky was falling, G. You know, just one week after Chicken Little hits a miraculous field goal to send you to OT and win a game, the sky is falling, and we're here to talk about it. It's unbelievable. And, uh, yeah, you talk about Dodge and the podcast. I mean – Working full time, you're you're a traveling man. Uh, it would be easy to mail it in this week, but you know we, we took the buy uh, a few weeks ago. I think with the birds, uh, actually for Thanksgiving. But uh, yeah, we we couldn't dodge this one. You know, only two losses on the year when when they go down and the, the way it went down, there there was no dodge in this one. So uh, appreciate you, and I think the people will appreciate the episode. So obviously, let's let's. Get right to it. We'll start with the Eagles, then we'll go to the call, and then we'll we'll let you get on your way, Bomb. But 42-19 wasn't pretty. A lot of theatrics throughout. A lot of extracurricular activity. You were in the building. uh, So what was the vibe, you know, before, during, and after? Uh, Vibes were good. Vibes were good. Um You know, in the parking lot, although I will say I think the crowds were dampened. I say that both literally and figuratively. 
I got down to the uh, stadium complex around 12.30, 1 o'clock, uh, if not a bit earlier. Ended up tailgating with some great people in the Citizens Bank Park parking lot. And I couldn't help but notice, um, just didn't seem like a huge crowd down there tailgating. And I understand there's conditions. I understand there's elements of those that were tailgating. A lot of folks had canopies. They had the tents up. Frankly, driving down I-95 and getting off at the stadium complex, it looked more like an Ole Miss football game at the Grove with the tents and, um, and I was ready to go. And the tailgate that we were, you know, fortunate enough to be invited to was excellent. Great time. But I have to tell you, I, I was expecting more folks down at the stadium earlier on. Um, I thought the crowd brought it. I thought the crowd brought it in big moments. Uh, I thought even into the second half when the Eagles responded with a touchdown to cut it, I believe, to 21-13 at the time, I thought the crowd was into it. Um, but at the end of the day, the crowd can't carry a football team, a baseball team, a hockey team to a victory. Uh, the same folks that are on your legacy sports stations that were complaining about the NLCS Game 6 crowd and how they didn't bring the juice against the Arizona Diamondbacks have nothing to say about the crowd that showed up at the link on Sunday. Um, they would have you believe that a liquored-up crowd could lead you to a victory, and I'm here to tell you that's just not the case. When you have a bum on the bump like Aaron Nola, when you have a football team that, in my opinion, is uh, has an unfair uh, disadvantage – against the San Francisco 49ers team in the form of rest. Uh, I don't think a football team, or I should say, I don't think a crowd can carry you to a victory. Although I will say, before we jump into the diagnostics of the game, G, I have to give you a funny story. Hit me with it. Your boy Bomb, like I mentioned, down there early, down there tailgating, uh, down there throwing a couple back. We were fortunate. Fortunate enough, I'll tell you actually two funny stories. Fortunate enough to get into the Miller Lite Pavilion around uh, 3 15, 3 o'clock. And who else was being honored? None other than Sean Jackson. Dave Spadaro was in the pavilion. He was uh, giving a talk. He said, Let's all welcome Deshaun back. And you will be politically correct here. A few Miller Lite. Uh, I did, and there were witnesses, I did scream out at the top of my lungs, and you know me, I have a booming voice, I'm a podcast guy, Chip Kelly sucks, okay, and everybody laughed, I cut the spuds off, and then Deshaun had the mic, and he said, so does Dallas, so does New York, and so does Washington, okay, so the vibes were good, Damn. and I'm throwing a couple back. And it's around 345, and you know the deal, right? You get in the link, you go through the gates, and you have to go up the stairs. You have to go up the stairs to get into the stadium. And, gee, I'm walking up the stairs. And, I'm, I'm you know, I've, I've had a couple, couple cold ones. And, you know, when you're walking up the stairs, all you see is, like, the midriff of the guy in front of you. All you see is hip, maybe shoulder blades down. And I'm looking at this guy in skinny jeans, and he looks like he's wearing cowboy boots. And all I can see is a white away jersey with the number 19, okay, number 19. 
And I'm walking up the steps. This guy's directly in front of me. He's got a Debo Samuel 49ers jersey on. And you know your boy Bomb. You know, if if nothing else, your boy Bomb's going to give it to the people. He's going to heckle people for better or for worse. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud. You think I want to go in there and heckle a guy in a Debo Samuel jersey? But that's what I got to do. So I'm following this guy up the stairs, and I'm just giving it to this guy. Your city's a shithole. You know, uh, there's, uh, you know, I'm getting into the, you know, the, the socioeconomic political ramifications of <laughs> drug addiction in San Francisco. Okay, I'm not proud of that, but that's what you got to do in a big rivalry game. Debo Samuel sucks. Debo Samuel's a bitch. You're a bitch. Get up to the top of the steps, G. And uh, it, it reminded me we're in the Christmas season. You ever see the movie Jingle All the Way? And Harold is uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Howard, I should say. Howard is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he goes to buy a Turbo Man dial. And he gets gets linked up with an elf who's running an underground scheme with all all the Santa Clauses over in the warehouse center. And they go in there, and they're all knockoff. They're all knockoff Turbo Man dials. And Howard stays. Steps up to a guy who's ripping him off, and the guy is seven feet. I get up to the top oh my God. of the plateau, G, and I look up. I've been dogging this guy on the 27 steps all the way up to the plateau of the link, and I've been giving it to him, and I, I got my head down. I'm, I'm, I'm basically out of breath from screaming at this guy and walking up 25 steps. And I look up, and what's before me is a mountain of a man. A guy in a Debo Samuel jersey who's probably no smaller than six foot eight. And I said, uh, welcome to Philadelphia, pal. Hope you enjoy the game. (laughs) Just busting your balls. I think Debo Samuel's a great player. And, you know, I'm glad I did because he kicked our teeth in. He backed it up. You know, we had a good laugh at the top, and I kept it moving. But, uh, yeah, your boy Bomb, I I knew – it was going to be a rough day when I saw a six foot eight guy, and he did not look six foot eight as I'm climbing the steps behind him. G, that was that that was a sign of of things to come. And I think I think about your tailgate comments. Like y- you got to go back to the the origins of this show and the teeny boppers and the crop toppers. It's December now. You're you're not getting you're you're not getting the temple crowd. You're not getting the fish town crowd. Like it's it's the people going to the game, right? It's it's the brown liquor time. It is, and I, you know, I, 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 it's disgusting when you see people down there, and you know, the, you get the, the young girls in their little chopped off, you know, jean shorts. You got the young guys in the, you know, short sleeves. They got the broccoli. You ever see the broccoli haircut that these kids in college have now? It looks like a, a fucking head of broccoli. Like and a Patrick Mahomes. They're all down. Yeah, well, not. I wouldn't even do Mahomes like that. The, I mean, it literally <laughs> looks like broccoli hair. Like take a broccoli. That's the haircut of the kids, and I did I saw no broccoli haircuts. I saw no college uh, women in in the jean shorts. It was guys. I was wearing my foot jewelry rain gear in a bucket hat. I was ready to go, G. And I got to tell you, tailgate wise, I didn't see enough of us. So maybe that's due to the fact that all the Temple kids were sitting at home and they're. You know, off-campus housing, uh, hopefully with a bucket under the the leaky roof that they're paying big bucks for watching the game. But I didn't see anybody out there braving the elements. But of those that showed up, 
a great crowd, uh, a, a fanatical crowd, a crowd that was talking a ton of shit. Again, much of which I was not proud of. But rivalry game, man, you got to talk that shit. Well, you know, you talked the shit coming into that game was uh, San Francisco, right? And Debo Samuel doubling and tripling down on his trash comments of, about James Bradbury, and they roll up to the link and in the all black. Um, but I think, and it didn't feel this way in the moment. I mean, it was kind of in the back of my mind, but Nick S kind of Shanahan it on Sunday. He started fast. He started fast, right? Two drives down the field, settle for field goals. And uh, I feel like it didn't feel like it, but I think the game kind of turned on those two successful opening drives, ultimately stalling and, and netting a total of six points. So it was like, usually that's the Shanahan script, right? He's he's a great first 15 guy, but uh, it, it was kind of flip-flop from what you're used to seeing. And the Eagles started fast for once, and you really thought, hey, maybe this is like this is the game for us to come out and do it. Uh, wasn't the case, and, and credit to the San Francisco for kind of weathering the storm uh, because those first two drives, or the first drive, the, the defense showed up and, and the crowd's going, and uh, from there it was all downhill. Doesn't it seem like too often with this coaching staff and these coordinators, I'll, I'll focus on BJ for a second. Cause I, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and blame the side when his guys were on the field for 95 plays the week before, and you're playing a team with 10 days of rest. I, I have a bone to pick with that, but let's talk about BJ. I mean, it seems like this guy has rabbit ears. It seems like the talk of the town was the fact that this team has not started fast in two straight weeks and they've been down at the half, and it seems like all the guy focused on was like the first 15. No uh, no thought given to red zone, no thought given to punching it in, no thought given to wrinkles after the first 15. It just seems like too often with this coaching staff, what you talk about on the radio ends up in the game plan, and then they forget everything else about the other three quarters. So that, that means this week we're going to line it up and probably run it 50 times. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You'll see 25 carries with Swift, maybe 15 with Jalen. That's what it's going to be. I guarantee it. I do think there, there needs to be a point of emphasis on the run. I mean, Sunday running backs go eight carries, 20 yards. Uh, and, and it had me kind of thinking back, like when the Eagles struggled in the first year under Hertz, or I mean, not necessarily because of Hertz, um, but the first year of Sirianni and Hertz, like, the pass game wasn't wasn't there yet. You know, A.J. Brown's not in town yet. And what did the Eagles do? They just they got Hurts under center, did they not? And they just ran the ball behind that mammoth offensive line. Like, why why do we not run the ball at all from under center anymore? Because there was so much so much success in that first year. And what what we saw Sunday just had me thinking back to that a little bit. The RPO stuff is cute and it's great. Um, but when your quarterback is no longer a threat to run, there was a third down, a th second or third down play, um, maybe 10 yards to go, and Hertz runs to the top of the field, the far side of the field, and he comes up short by two yards, runs out of bounds. And that's a play that he has the burst to get to the sticks and convert a first down. When your quarterback no longer has the ability to get that, get his run game into fifth gear, you have to begin to de uh, develop and design plays with him under center, a little more play action, a little more bootleg action, get the uh, get the defense going in a misdirection. 
I get the sense that they love running this RPO stuff. Um, they loved running against Buffalo. Again, Tony Romo basically was like jacking it to the fact that they were running to the boundary. And then when you're playing San Francisco, which has a, a pretty strong D-line, pretty strong linebacker play, that stuff does not get it done. And you saw it with the 49ers, the fact that they were able to stay in the rush lanes, really play more of like a mush rush type of defense against Hertz. They basically just didn't want to let him out of the pocket. And when he dropped back to pass and the RPO uh, ended up not being a, a factor, what you saw was, you know, Bosa staying in his lane. You saw their, their other rushers staying in the lane. And Hertz had a ton of time to pass. But again, when you have a Brian Johnson with no creativity, no ability to scheme guys open, no route concepts that uh, give you uh, the ability to get a one-on-one in man or the ability to get to an open spot of the zone, I think you see a quarterback that's going to stand back there for five, six, seven seconds as if we're waiting for Freddie Mitchell to run down the field in Dallas and Donovan McNabb to run around for 26 seconds. And we just didn't see it. I'm disgusted by the, the, the creativity. Again, Quez Watkins, this guy is a bum. He's always been a bum. You could argue he cost you a Super Bowl, and he gets four targets in our biggest fucking game of the year a week after we just saw Alameda Zacchaeus, in my opinion, supplant him on the depth chart. A few weeks after we see a guy, Julio Jones, who can go in to the red zone, go up for a post, take a shot to the head, and come down with the football. But we're going to throw a deep ball to Quez. We're going to target him four times and then complain when a flag isn't called because we're all going to say it's pass interference. The guy has no balls. He can't fight back through a defensive back. I'm so sick and tired of the route concepts. I'm so sick and tired of the personnel. This offensive staff, this coaching staff, the offensive coordinator need to look themselves in the mirror and ask themselves, are we the reason this team is 10-2? and two? Or are we the reason this team is not 12-0? and 0? I think you hit it all. I really think you hit it all. Um, like that, you think back about Hurts just standing back there, standing back there and waiting. Like I think it was the second drive where he tripped over himself. He was back there for so long. So, yeah, I, I don't think I have anything to add, but I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with like the coaching staff and – and the, the talent on this team, like this team is 10 and two because of the talent on the roster. And they're, they're not 12 and zero because of the coaching. They're not playing to this, this so-called uh, quote unquote standard because of the coaching. And a lot of, a lot of the talking points, I know you were in the building, but again, for another week, Greg Olson, just leaning into the fact that, you know, with this loss, it's anybody's NFC. Dallas can get the one seed. San Fran can get the one seed. Um, and, and while that's true, I mean, it's annoying, but it is true. And now you're looking at a situation where if you lose on Dallas, the one seed is certainly in question. And it's not because of the talent on the roster, I'll tell you that. No, it's disgusting. And then they have to turn around and go play Dallas, who also has a 10-day rest period, the mini buy. Then you go play Seattle. That's never an easy game. And they flex that to Monday night. And then you have to turn around and come play come play the G-Man. And I get they stink. I get their quarterbacks out. And you got Chicken Parm DeVito playing. But at the end of the day, you're playing a divisional opponent on short rest. 
And no one's going to feel bad for the Eagles. Nobody, all right? Because all the national media does is shit on this team. And I get it. I, I, I get it. I get everybody. And Brock Purdy and Mr. Irrelevant. And, and, and they love McCaffrey because, you know, he's a dual threat running back. And they love Debo because he can do it all. And they love Shanahan and his dumb hat and his stupid face. And Dallas, again, with Dak and Fatso McCarthy. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think this offensive coaching staff just needs to look themselves in the mirror. I feel like they are failing Jalen Hurts. I feel like they were they are failing this defense. You had a defense that was on the field for 95 plays. And your top running back, DeAndre Swift, gets seven carries in that football game. I mean, it was 14-6 at half, G., but they had a 6 nothing lead in the first quarter. They dominated the quarter, 125 yards, negative six for the 49ers, up and down the field. You can't punch it in. I, I just I, – I really have to ask, is anybody going to hold BJ accountable? And we know Nick sits there in the post game, and he sits there, you know, the day after press conference, say, oh, I mean, I love what Brian Johnson's doing. And everyone wants to fawn over the fact that this guy's a head coaching candidate. Two things can't be true. The national media cannot sit here and say Brian Johnson is a top coaching candidate while in the same breath tell you that the Eagles are overrated because that fucking offensive roster is is stocked full of talent. So don't tell me that they're not a, a true contender and then in the same breath say Brian Johnson is one of the top candidates. Th- those are not accurate statements. They, they cannot both be true. Yeah, it's just it, it just feels like a lack of of situational awareness between the schedule, the amount of plays that the defense played the week before, um, the personnel that you have on defense. I mean, I I talked about the talent and could this team be twelve and zero with maybe a Doug Peterson at, at, at head coach? And you listen to to some of the legacy media in this town this week, and 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 they're shitting on Sirianni, but these were the same guys that. We're running Doug Peterson out of town, like, and it's only one loss, right? And it's an ugly loss, but it's just so odd that you know we, we lose one game and it's kind of embarrassing. Um, and and we're talking about the coach, like, like he's the he's the biggest problem, which I th- I think he is, but like, this is what gets guys run out of town. But like, we've got a good thing going the last couple of years, so. Uh, but you 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 think about the defense, the personnel, right? And they're not coaching to help them out. Uh, but but we do go out this week, and your boy Howie steps in, right? And, and he brings in Shaq Leonard. So just any thoughts on, on that kind of signing after we saw uh, Morrow get torched all day on Sunday and Ellis with a strong start and then was kind of invisible. I don't know how, how many snaps he ends up playing, but uh, just a, an all-pro, pro-bowler guy to come in and bolster that linebacking core. How do you spell Ellis's last name, G? Does he have two S's at the end of his last name? He's got two S's. So the extra S stands for sucks. That guy fucking blows. He made a great play on like the first play of the game. Yeah, I mean that was it. Come on, I mean, yeah, it's uh, um, you know, again, I can't kill the guy as a practice squad player out there playing meaningful snaps in a the biggest game of the year. What, what, how can I kill that guy? But at the end of the day, he's getting a paycheck, and I'm paying to be in the building and watch that slop. As far as Shaq Leonard, I mean. Everyone's hyped. Everyone wants to sit here and talk about this stuff. And don't get me wrong, I'm excited. Three-time All-Pro player, came in the league in what, 2018? Do you find it a little odd that he's on the street 
in year five? I mean, is it a medical thing? Is it a money thing? I, I also wonder a little bit, like, what took this guy so long to make a decision? Like, were you, were you really sitting there wondering whether you wanted to sign with the Cowboys or the Eagles? Like, what is it that took so long? Did you just want to see the Philadelphia Eagles linebacker core get totally exposed so you could drive your salary up? Like, come out and say that. But I find it a little odd. This guy was kind of floating around. You know, all I heard about how great he was in Indianapolis. He's on the street. What's he doing? Then you hear Nick S. has to get on a FaceTime and convince the guy to come to the Eagles by passing his iPhone around to staff that used to be with the Colts. I mean, does this guy – does this, does this guy not look on LinkedIn? Like, anytime I, I apply for a new job, I look at, oh, who works there? I don't need the hiring manager to pass their fucking phone around in a board meeting or in an executive leadership meeting and say, oh, Dennis, remember when you worked with such and such? Oh, he's here now. What the fuck, dude? I find it so bizarre that this guy didn't sign, and he wasn't reading the playbook, wasn't watching film, wasn't learning the defense ahead of this game. It was like a multi-week thing. We knew we were thin at linebacker. N'Kobe Dean was out weeks ago, and we're rolling into a game against the Shanahan Stroke Fest with the misdirection and the run game and the, the different play action uh, action that they have off their different concepts, and we're rolling in there with Ellis while Shaq Leonard sits there and turns it into uh, uh, some form of like a reality show while he decides. It's like the fucking Bachelor. Who's going to give this guy a goddamn rose? Gee, I have some serious concerns about this. It's it's the LeBron James decision. Like, and, and yeah, now that you say it, I didn't really think about it that way, but it is odd. Like, you just watch the team absolutely get bludgeoned, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll go sign with them. Not only, like, maybe he can barter for more money, but maybe he knows that he's not that invested, but he can get on the field, get paid, and maybe not play at the all-pro level or not play at the Pro Bowl level, uh, and he won't stick out like a sore thumb like Morrow did on Sunday. Uh, so something to keep an eye on, but you know, you look back at some of these guys we've signed mid year, uh, coming in and making an impact in, in a positive way. So you got to hope that that's, that's the case. But I feel like, you know, looking back on the game and I tweeted out after the game, well, we G, give, G, Shan- G, w- yeah. one, G one more thing on Leonard. Is this guy going to play on Sunday? I don't, I don't know. I think it's up in the air. I, I, I would doubt it. There are reports. There are reports this guy is not going to play on Sunday. So let me – I have a problem. I have a serious problem with that. What the fuck has he been doing all year? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I mean – Christ. If we ever needed a warm body net, now would be the time. This this weekend would be the time. But I did tweet out after the game – um, and, and we give San Fran and, and Shanahan a bunch of shit, but they're a good team, good roster, and, and Shanahan certainly was, was the better coach and had the better staff on Sunday. But I think it was good for the Eagles to get, get a slice of humble pie. Like you talk about Nick S. and the staff looking in the mirror, the players get a chance to look in the mirror. Um, they don't hand out the hardware in December, right? So like as bad as it looks and as much as everybody – out there wants to make it seem like the sky is falling. Like this is still the team that, that we know and love. Uh, we still have great players, uh, great interior lines, both sides of the ball. Like, and we, and we have Jalen hurts. Was it his best, best day on Sunday? No. Uh, but I, I didn't think it was bad or horrific by any means. So I think it's good to get a slice of humble pie at this point in the season, kind of reset the squad, 
uh, get the staff looking in the mirror hard and, and, and get ready to just go play another big game that you got to have, right? Like we don't have to go travel to the Meadowlands on a shitty day, shitty cloudy day and play on that fucking awful turf. Like we're going down to Jerry world with, with a lot at stake. Uh, so these guys got to get right and get right fast and be ready to go. They got to get it corrected. They got to look at the film. And and again, I mean, you could talk about the offensive staff. I have some problems with the DBs. I have some problems with uh, the corners in particular. You know, everyone wants to sit here and complain about the, the Josh Jobs of the world. You're paying big money to a guy who wants to go by his last name. You're paying big money to Bradbury. And, I, and we gave him props last week when he, when he uh, picked the ball off. He's made a couple punch outs. Darius Slay, okay, gets called out by Seth Joyner for being unable to tackle, unwilling to tackle. Uninterested. Unwilling to tackle. Uninterested. And you have a guy, Seth Joyner, who I respect, a guy who knows defense, a guy who played for one of the best defenses in, in Eagles history. And Darius Slay Jr. is quote tweeting him saying, hey, man, it's Slay. It's Slay. He was offended that he used his full name. And I give Seth Joyner props, right? He said, flip the tape on, bro. Be honest with yourself. It's freaking pathetic. These guys are more concerned on the, on the defensive side, particularly Darius Slay, big play Slay, more concerned with an alter ego, more concerned with a persona, more concerned with a reputation than stepping up and doing a job against a physical football team like San Francisco. Do you think these guys are going to be uh, able to stop 88? Do you think these guys are going to be able to step up and make a tackle on the boundary of uh, of Pollard? I, I don't know, man. I don't know what to think anymore about this this uh, these D-backs. They, they love to talk a big game. And frankly, I'm sick and tired of it because they get fucking torched. Team after team throws for tons of yards. You saw Dak do it. They had to get a stop at the end of the game at home to win that game. They, they, you know, Brock Purdy looks looks like a world beater. I mean, holy hell, it's unbelievable. He's torching the team. Granted, a lot of it yak, but it just speaks to the fact these guys are uninterested in tackling. They're more interested in saying, oh, how can we do that? How can we make a big play? Well, guess what? The turnover differential this year is fucking pathetic. And, yes, Bradbury jumped in front of a football two weeks ago. Where's big play slay? Where are the big plays? We're not playing Washington or, or Minnesota or, or the Saints or, years ago. or the Bucks or, or some dog shit team. But you're right. I mean, these guys get compensated uh, in, in the upper tier of, of their position. And I think outside of quarterback, like corner is probably one of the hardest positions to play. Um, but when you get compensated in that matter and you talk the talk and you want, you want to be known as big play slay and you, have, you take issue when somebody calls you Darius – um, you're an ass and, and, and you need to, you need to turn the tape on and you need to put some work in and show up Sunday and, and m- maybe make a play for the team. Well, you know, the only other Darius I know is Darius Rucker and he was Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish and big play Slay puts the blow in Blowfish because this guy <laughs> fucking sucks. Uh, I don't, I don't really want to get into big Dom. Like I, I, I really don't care that that's getting eaten up. Like, you know, love big Dom, love that he's a part of the team and a part, part of the show, I guess. And I don't really want to get into the officiating, uh, either 
like in in depth, but I did I did see a nugget on the X um, ahead of this game on Sunday from NFL Ref Stats One on X. Eagles' only two regular season losses in 2022 were with Alex Kemp officiating. Kemp is assigned referee for SF versus Philly in Week 13. Conversely, this is 49ers' sixth game in last 30 with Kemp officiating 20% of their games. 49ers 4-1 and one in those games, 3-0 and oh on the road. Yeah, I mean, we were texting about it during the game. I, You know me, I'm vocal. I'm sitting all the way up in the top of the stadium, and I, I, I don't think I've ever booed as hard as I've ever booed on Sunday. Um, and again, I don't want to get into the big Dom thing. I mean – whatever shit happens on the sideline. The issue I have is the fact that it's a 20-minute delay of the game. Kyle Shanahan is off of the sideline, actively contacting officials, seemingly, and again, I'm up in the nosebleed, seemingly showing them stuff on a tablet. I mean, the officials aren't allowed to look at the uh, 40-by-40-yard fucking video boards in each end zone, but Kyle Shanahan somehow has the Microsoft Surface out there screaming and hollering like a fool with his little skinny face and his dumb fucking nose and his stupid fucking hat that he bought uh, that looks like a fucking rip curl or Quicksilver hat with a San Francisco 49ers logo on it. And he's allowed to act a fool and physically contact an official and delay a game for 10 or 15 minutes. And then you have... That Bozo Kemp, the head official, uh, the referee, seemingly in contact with the league. Okay, is it a review? I don't know. Is it is it the Sky official coming in and making a red recommendation? You would never know because there's no announcement to the goddamn fans in the stadium. So I can only imagine what dumb uh, dumb Greg Olson is saying while he's preparing for an interview with uh, Tepper down in Carolina to become the head coach because he's going to be doing the C game next year when Tom Brady comes in and does all these big games. But, again, the officiating always is an issue. It's, it was an issue last week. You know, people want to sit here and talk about Quez. Quez is a bum. I'm not going to make an excuse for him. But when A.J. Brown gets mugged in an end zone and he's the biggest guy on the field by a wide margin, gets literally tackled in the end zone on a ball to the pylon, when you see Brandon Ayuk go down and literally cradle a ball and it looks like it hits the ground and moves and then they're under the hood and then you see the guy in the orange gloves come out and wave the sign saying, oh, TV's back. And he goes, the play on the field is confirmed. Um, I have a problem. There's no explanation. Ed Hockley at least used to give you an explanation. After review, the ball was possessed by the receiver. While it hit the ground, he maintained possession Throughout the catch. No, no, no. Not Kemp. Not this idiot Kemp. He's going to sit there and talk to the Sky official. He's going to talk to the league office. It'll be a 15-minute delay. We're going to come back from commercial, and the play stands. I, I, I am shocked. The biggest issue I have with the reviews this year and with the NFL in general is the fact that there is no historical precedence. And name one other guy, G, name one other guy that can pull out in that moment, a catch that was later ruled incomplete from 25 years ago in real time and tell you it's bullshit. I sent you, literally, when they said that play stood, I sent you the Burt Emanuel catch. 
Tampa Bay versus the St. Louis Rams. I believe it was the divisional round in 1999. Bert Emanuel runs over the middle. I believe it was a post or a drag 15 yards down the field. And they deliver the ball. He goes in there, cradles it. Doesn't even look like it hits the ground. Looks like it might move, but didn't appear to hit the ground. Catch on the field, incomplete after review. And you got Ayuk in the end zone, cradling the ball, contorting his body into the ground, and the and the play is confirmed. I, it is astonishing the level of inconsistency that occurs. And then you have to hear before the game that, in fact, the tush push, it's not really an injury thing. It's just Roger Goodell doesn't like the play. It really feels like the league, with all their TV packages, with everything they sell, with all the fucking merch that goes through Fanatics, with the Fugazi Nike logos that they sell to Fanatics and have them steam steam print and press onto the jersey. It's not even a Nike product. All they're looking for is relevance in weeks 17 and 18. They cannot have a team wrap up a first-round bye in a scenario where there's only one, one team in each conference that gets a bye. They can't have that happen by week 14. They have to make these games relevant. So it doesn't matter. They'll put their thumb on the scale. Vegas knows. Everyone knows. And we just won't talk about it. We won't talk about it during the telecast, the broadcast. We'll just go to commercial. We'll pump you full of Bud Light ads. Travis Kelsey will tell you to get double vaxxed before he goes off to Brazil or Rio de Janeiro or Buenos Aires to see Taylor. Double vax. We're back from commercial. The play stands. And here's the extra point. What in the fuck is going on? It's turning into the WWE. That's you said that the other day, and it's it's a fair comparison. I mean, it's between the schedule, right? The gauntlet. I mean, the teams are the teams, but the, but the amount of rest that these other teams are getting coming into these games, uh, the officiating a, across the league, the way that the Eagles have been talked about, like it just feels like. They're lining up to just try to slow down the Eagles, and and you got Goodell coming out about the t- the tush push and kind of slamming his fist down on that. Like that's that's gone. But I look I look at another play with the officiating was like I think the play before the IU touchdown that was questionable. Like Sweat gets called for offsides, and everybody's trying to get a screenshot on on Twitter to see what that looked like, and and it doesn't even look close. But like the laundry just flies and. It's been it's been consistent throughout the year across the league. I watched the the Packers Chiefs game Sunday night, and then the last thirty seconds, the Chiefs are trying to go on a drive to to go down and win the game, and they must have missed like four or five calls on four or five straight plays. Uh, and then you're watching Monday Night Football between Cincinnati and the Jags, and like Browning is on a QB sneak going into the end zone, and he's at like. There's not even any space between the ball and the goal line, and they put them all the way back full at the one-yard line. Like, everything is just way off. They're not even close, and, and nobody acknowledges it. Yeah, it, it, it's Pravda. It is, it is Soviet-era propaganda. And you know that the, that the uh, broadcast and the television partners are not going to talk shit about the refs. Because guess what? In five years, in eight years, in ten years, whenever the next TV contract's up, they're going to sit here and say, oh, we, I think we can sell half of these games to Hulu. And we're going to get some uh, schmuck in there who won't talk badly about the league. And 
We'll be able to host a Super Bowl over in Dubai and sell sell half of those games over to the Saudis and these number of games over to... Ch- it's becoming a globalized, commoditized level of corporate bullshit. We'll call it what it is, G. I mean, Lawrence Taylor came out the other day and said he, he doesn't even know if he, he would have lasted a full game if he played in today's game. He would have been fucking kicked out. This NFL, it, it's... I'll tell you what, if the Eagles were not a, a great team, if the Eagles were not one of the best teams in the league, I, I, I'm not sure I could continue watching it consistently. I'm not sure I can continue attending it consistently. It is becoming glorified flag football, which, if officiated properly, is, is, is I guess, still watchable, but... You can't they, – they can't even officiate flag football appropriately, G. It's crazy. Just another week we're talking about – talking about the fix, right? Last week it was the, the power ratings and ESPN's FBI, and, and now it's officiating and cutting the commercials and everything like that. So it's it's pretty rough. But you know one thing I took issue with this, this week, Bomb, and it's, it's a little bit of a different subject. I mean, we bring in Shaq Leonard, but – Zach Ertz gets let go by by Arizona. They got this McBride guy. And immediately on social media, bring him home. Bring Zach home. We got to bring him in. Goddard, Goddard could have played last week, potentially, and he's going to be back this week. Why in the hell would we bring back Zach Ertz, who's at the tail end of his career, who probably runs a 5.5-second 40-yard dash, uh, to come in and maybe catch like one or two, three yard passes and just immediately hit the turf. Like why is it always bring him home? What is our obsession with bringing back anybody that gets released from like a previous team? And and maybe I'm not doing Zach justice. Like he was on the Super Bowl team, makes a big catch in that Super Bowl, but he's shot. He was shot when he left. He's even more shot now. And, and the immediate response is bring him home. And I'm listening to the radio tonight, driving around before we did this. And they're talking about Leonard, and then they're like, there's no update on Ertz, no update on Ertz. Like, it's some high priority. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I really don't know what to say. Um, I don't know what to say. Uh, I, I'm speechless. You know, it, it it's infuriating because – in my opinion, the biggest issue with Goddard being out is his contribution to the run game, and Zach Ertz gives you nothing in the run game as a as a uh, run blocker. So, again, and this comes back to a point I gave you on the last pod, what exactly does Zach Ertz do that is any different than what Julio Jones can do? Okay? Split him out. Use him as a flex, in air quotes, tight end. I think Julio gives you a better chance at Yak than Zach. But you're right. It's this it's this obsession with former Eagles that are totally washed. Like, it, 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 it truly is unbelievable. I mean, I, there might be a contingent of this fan base that would want LeGarrette Blunt to come back. And so, oh, we can use him off the tush push. You know, we, we can do a play-action tush push and hand it off to LeGarrette Blunt. Oh, man, if Swift goes down, we should bring back Jake. These guys are done. They're cooked. They're washed. But we're going to spend time sitting here talking about Zach and his wife 
and the Visa commercial. You know, roll him into a Kelsey Pfizer commercial. I don't know what to tell you. But the guy is totally fucking washed. I want nothing to do with him. He's a Wentz worshiper. He was always a Wentz guy. For all I know, he didn't want to play with Jalen Hurts. And we're going to pollute our locker room with Zach Ertz? Cut me a fucking break. Don't sell yourself short. I think I think you could get us a few more yak uh, than Zach these days. But uh, I don't know. Anything else? I mean, it's on to Dallas. I, th- I think we're going to get there in, in a few moments. But just any other thoughts uh, on the debacle that was on Sunday? No, I mean, I know, I know it's, I've been pretty negative, um, but big picture, because I'm a big picture guy. It's one game, man. Again, you said it's a slice of humble pie. I'll tell you, it's a whole humble pie. They got their teeth kicked in. This team, not that any team wants to get totally embarrassed, but, you know, you see Debo Samuel acting a fool, um, coming off the field, running into the tunnel, whelp, 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 um, you know, congratulations! You just won the the week. Is it the week thirteen Super Bowl or week fourteen Super Bowl? I heard the other day that the there's some funky things going on, and I have not verified this. So just in conversations with folks, haven't had a chance to look at it. I heard I've heard there's some funky things going on with the San Francisco and Seattle line this week, and um, I'm not sure if you've looked at it, but apparently that line's dropping and dropping like an anvil. So, you know, again, like typical San Francisco fashion, I have no doubt that they'll choke away a game or lose a game or come out unprepared. And, you know, they want, they just won their Super Bowl. Congratulations. Um, I think it's going to be a totally different football game. I'm, frankly, I mean, if the Eagles wrap up the one seed and win this week in Dallas and take care of business against the rest of their schedule, you know, people want to talk about the rematch. People want to talk about – it's going to be different in January when the 49ers come back to the link. I'll go so far as to say, gee, I'm not even sure the 49ers make it back to the link, okay? We're going to sit here and talk about this team coming back in a, in a rematch in an NFC Championship game. I have no faith in their ability to do that. So congratulations, Kyle Shanahan, with your tablet, contacting the official, getting Big Dom chucked out. Congratulations to Trey Greenlaw, who's a punk. Throwing a throwing a fist at a at sideline staff. Congratulations to Debo running around. And gee, you saw a couple plays. They threw that little bubble out, and like the D line just didn't have enough juice to get to the guy after playing ninety five snaps. There were a couple times where you see JD looking at him, being like, "Man, just can't get there." It's it's not that it's going to be different in January. It's that I don't even know that the Forty Nine ers are going to be there. Yeah, and I. I... I think, you know, we might not not necessarily be there either. I mean, we certainly can be, but back to back to the staff and everything, like we got to get it right. Um, but yeah, certainly an opportunity for San Francisco to to start sniffing themselves. And if they drop a game, then we're right back in the driver's seat with a with a win Sunday as well. Um, but like again, the people that are clowning the Eagles, like I thought the B- Buffalo Bills line was short. They were dogs of Kansas City. Um, I don't know what they were laying against Dallas and Miami, probably a field goal or less. Like, so the Eagles have outperformed like the Vegas expectation and that they were dogs on Sunday. And like, as much as everybody wanted to jump around and, and make a fuss that, Oh my God, we're dogs. And we're the first 10 to one team since 1970 to be dogs at home in the regular season. Like there was a reason it's a bad spot. Uh, and the Eagles have overcome a lot of bad spots because they're, they're a great team. So like, the sky's not falling, but we, we, we got to clean it up and 
make sure we can get to the NFC Championship for a potential rematch or a potential rematch with Dallas or Detroit or whoever's coming through. So, um, Gee, who who were the top three teams projected in the NFC before the season started? Before the schedule came out, who who were the top three teams? Eagles, Dallas, and San Fran. Philadelphia play Dow. They play Dallas and San Fran in back to back weeks with the opponent off ten day ten days of rest. That's all I have to say. It's this Roger is, Goodell. And don't tell me it's random. Don't tell me you just stuck every team into a random number generator and just came up with a schedule. That's bullshit. This is an orchestrated affair. This is a pre-constructed narrative to ensure parity in the NFL. They, they, they clearly have some sort of vendetta against the tush push. They want to ban it. And I'll go so far as to say, I don't want to sign myself up for this, but I will, if, if we have enough listeners that want to participate in this, I'm willing to do it. There were, there was a lot of stuff talked about during the deflate, the deflate gate era. We know uh, the Brady four from Barstool went up there and did a sit in at NFL headquarters. I think we have to ask ourselves as the resident uh, we'll call it Philadelphia Eagles pod. Do we have to go up there with 11 guys and tush push our way into NFL headquarters and not leave? Because if this play gets banned by virtue of the push and it's not a football play, then I need to ask about what happened in this game on Sunday when you have McCaffrey 8-9 eight, eight, 10 yards up the field and you got 68 on the O-line running up and carrying him another two yards. What the fuck is the difference? Again, I think this is an orchestrated issue with the NFL. They take issue with Philadelphia. They take issue with the smash mouth, tough guy style of football with uh, a hybrid quarterback that can do it all. They want to push the game to more Patrick Mahomes scrambling around, throwing the ball down the field to Tyreek Hill back in the day. They want to push the Miami bullshit. They want to push Shanahan with the Mr. Oh, the creativity. What they don't like is somebody lining up against you and punching you right in the fucking face. Okay? So, again, this is the NFL. This is Roger Goodell. This is what this guy's all about. And shame on True Vincent. Shame on John Runyon for working for that moron. Because when we tush push our way into NFL headquarters, again, if this is banned, if enough people say, Bomb, we need you there, we need you to go do a job, get behind center up on uh, Park Avenue in New York City and put tush push your way into headquarters, I might have to do it, G. I don't want to guarantee it. I don't want to do that. You think I want to do that? I'm up here on work. You think I want to go drive up to Midtown and go tush push my way into Goodell's office? No, I don't want to fucking do that. But it's disgusting the kind of stuff that goes on, the competitive disadvantage that this league uh, charts for the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you think they're doing this to Kansas City? No, they're not. It'd be like, it'd be like banning the forward pass for Patrick Mahomes or the shovel pass down at the goal line. Hey, Patrick, you can't do the shovel pass at the goal line. You can't do that. Hey, two-way, you can't throw the ball 60 yards down the field to Tyreek. You know, but Philadelphia, oh, it's not a football play. I'm so sick and fucking tired of this shit. The good thing is if we if we do have to go up to NFL HQ, we'll 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 pop on a couple Niners or Chiefs jerseys. Uh and, and if we get pushed out by security, we'll just take a flop and we'll have a good laugh like Chris, Christian McCaffrey did on Sunday. <laughs> what a pussy. 
Well, and you know what? Shame on the NFL. Did they? Was that Fox or was it, I think it was Fox that put out the tweet? And you know, I don't hear the broadcast because I'm in the stadium. But Greg Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhart cutting a rug, laughing it up. Oh, <laughs> and the referee laughed. Oh, he couldn't get one there. Like we're kicking a sideline like staff out for breaking up a fight, but McCaffrey's allowed to act. The fool spin down, fall over is like the most yoked running back in the league. He breaks every tackle. They're the toughest team in football. Smash mouth football. But he's going to flop when Fletcher Cox literally releases him. And you know what the ref does? Walks over, taps him on the helmet, taps him on the ass, has a little chuckle. Give me a fucking break. That's not the NFL of yesteryear. That's not the Lawrence Taylor style football that, that used to occur. Back in the day, you think Dirty Waters would put up with that? The former safety for the Eagles? Fuck no. It's disgusting. The NFL's a fucking joke. <laughs> Man, I thought I thought we were just going to bang this out real fast. And uh, bomb went off. But I'm sorry. We, we, we got to move on. And we got to appreciate uh, our great listeners. Uh, especially the ones that call in to the show and the spot in the shade line, 215-385-5164. A little big five basketball call. Somebody was a little fired up. Guys, um, hope everyone had a, a nice holiday and gearing up for, for Christmas. Um, my Christmas came a little early this year. Um, something that I've been hoping and wishing to stand up for for about, well, I don't know, since I graduated college. Uh the last time it happened was 2011, um, my senior year. St. Joe's went to Villanova and waxed the ever-living piss out of that program. You have no idea. Usually when I call the spot in the shade, usually I'm a little sense, you know, censored and and reserved and this and the other. Fuck those assholes, all right? I'm going on the record. They are the worst. They are scum. They are, they're worse than scum. They're pond scum, all right? I loved every fucking minute. I'm seeing their fans goddamn squirm in their seats. They suck. They're fair weather fans. Oh, we had two championships. We had two. Well, welcome to hell, assholes. Because if you think Kyle Neptune's the guy, you're blind. You are absolutely blind. And as a St. Joe's fan, I say, we welcome Kyle Neptune. Please stay at Villanova for the rest of your goddamn career because you suck. All right? St. Joe's is goddamn back. Now, they lost to Texas A&M Commerce. It happens. It happens. You have a little left down. That's fine. Guess what? I know the next time you record this will be after the Big Five Championship. We waxed Villanova's ass, and Temple, you're fucking next, jerk off. He nailed it. St. Joe's took the Big Five Championship over Temple Saturday night. I did tune into that St. Joe's Nova game and, and did play St. Joe's plus 12.5. I know we have a loyal listener that played St. Joe's money line plus 700 against the cats, but that was a good old fashioned shit kicking that the Hawks laid on the cats. Um, is Villanova dead with Kyle Neptune? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, to be quite honest, like no offense, who gives a, a fuck? Come on, Bob. You're like a historic guy, a Philly guy, but come on, big five, man. No big five. Who who care? I mean, who gives a fuck? I mean, honestly, who gives a fuck? Like, 
I, I, I cannot believe I, we even have to talk about that call after what occurred on Sunday. Like, the fact that we're sitting here talking about college basketball, not even like college basketball, mid-major basketball, all right? And I say that as a air quotes St. Joe's guy. You want to talk about St. Joe's? I'll talk to you about St. Joe's. That listener that called in, good for him. La-di-da. Christmas came early. Fantastic. You've been wishing for this since 2011. Well, let me tell you something. As a University of the Sciences guy, a school that merged with St. Joseph's, this is just what we do. I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that St. Joe's has been a loser organization ever since Jameer, Jameer Nelson left campus. I do apologize. I'm sorry that, you know, Phil Martelli is a bald-headed idiot who uh, all he does is claim the fame is to call in to, you know, mouth-breather Angelo Cataldi before Eagles games and give you his prediction while his team fucking gets bounced in the NIT or the first round of the NCAA tournament. I'm sorry you've been dealing with that for 10 years. But when U Science is merged in with St. Joe's, what you got was a premier Division II program, a team that led, and I, and, 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 you may not remember this, G, a team that opened the 11 p.m. Sports Center back in the day. The same week that Jimmy Rollins was traded from the Philadelphia Phillies, University of Sciences went on the road a whole two miles, three miles down the road from West Philly, U Sciences, 42nd and Woodland. We go on the road to Drexel. We knock off the Drexel Dragons, first Division II team to go on the road in many, many years and win a game on the road against a Division One opponent. And literally, Bruiser Flint fired that season. Okay, J-Roll traded, Bruiser Flint fired. We open the 11 p.m. Sports Energy. Do you know what the tagline was when they put up the stats about USI? They said, it's all about the U. Okay, so I'm sorry that St. Joe's has not had swagger. But this is just what I expect as a guy who's now welcomed into the St. Joe's family. Gee, I was welcomed to the St. Joe's, open, they call it opening pitch. I think it's called opening pitch, opening night. They welcome you. They say, well, why don't you come to the dinner, the alumni, the baseball alumni dinner. Why don't you come to the baseball alumni golf outing? As a Division One athlete, okay, well, I guess I, I should say athlete of a Division One school is, I guess, what we – it's like the CDC just updated their guidelines. It's no longer recommendations – for uh, pregnant women, and it's for pregnant people. As a former athlete of a Division One school, okay, that's that's me, okay, uh, this is just what I come to expect. What we do is we go on the road, we win big games. We did it with Drexel. We now did it with Villanova. Villanova lost to Drexel. You are welcome. Welcome to winning, boys, okay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry you, you, you wandered through the desert for 10 years. This is just what the side does, man. It's all about the U. So this is this is all about the side. It's not about Kyle Neptune. It's not about Villanova's no. shot without Jay. You know they did right way. They they didn't want to call it the right way. They just called it right way, and had Jay at, at the at the St. Joe's game at the Finn. Uh, but this is just about the merge of the U and St. Joe's and uh, just becoming an elite program in college basketball. So. We'll, we'll we'll leave it at that, Bob. Uh, I gotta let you go, but I, I I just need I need you gave me a line before we we hopped on here. College football playoff. Sum it up in a nutshell. What happened? Um, two things can be true. Okay, 
the committee made the made the right decision with Florida State, and Florida State got fucked. Okay, that that's my opinion. Um, again, you know, I, and we talk. I I mentioned this with the NFL, the Amazon packages, the Hulu, the Fubu packages, the Dubai package, the Abu Dhabi package, the Saudi Arabia package. Everyone's selling TV packages. These oh, we're gonna give you two games. You're gonna get. You know, a game and a half, okay? Everyone wants to sell games. Everyone wants to sell packages. Everyone wants super conferences, conference realignment, NIL money, all right? Oh, the transfer portal, the rental, the rent a player. So, in my opinion, college college is dead, okay? These, these guys are employees. They're all getting paid big bucks. So, don't tell me it's about, oh, I feel so bad. For the players at Florida State, because what kind of example does this give them? Should they pack it in when when somebody gets injured? Well, yeah, they fucking should. Go get a bag from some other school. That's the fucking rules. And if anything, if I'm a head coach of a football program, I'm turning my boost. I'm saying, look, guys, it's not enough to have a quarterback. It's not enough to pay a quarterback four or five million in NIL money, booster money, the whole thing. We need another guy, a second guy. To be on the bench, we'll pay him eight million just to sit, just so he's there in case you know there's an issue or a guy gets injured or we're the thirteenth team in a twelve-team playoff. So again, I don't want to hear about the students. I don't want to hear about the life lessons we're teaching them by keeping a thirteen and zero team with a backup out of the playoff. Cut me a fucking break. Alabama would wax them. Frankly, I think it's a disgrace they were ranked fifth. How do, how can you sit there and say I don't think they'd be competitive in a fourteen playoff? But we'll put them at five ahead of Georgia, the back-to-back national champion who lost by, lost to Alabama by a field goal. Give me a fucking break. Florida State's like 10, so spare me that bullshit. Well, we'll get to see Florida State square off with Georgia. Uh, I want to say it's the Orange Bowl. This episode and Thoughts in the Shade is sponsored by our great friends at Menard Premium Detailing, the number one auto detail service in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, they're located in Warminster. Check them out on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com for all of your auto detailing needs. All right, we let Bob go. I want to talk about, obviously, the weekend that was in college football. And I want to start by first mentioning uh, and tipping the cap, giving an ode to the SEC on CBS. Uh, I believe they said it was 26 years. Uh, You can check me on that one, but it's certainly been the, uh, it's been the entirety of my college football watching career and, and almost my entire lifetime that Saturday at three 30 in the fall, uh, you know, unless state's shitting down their leg, you got to be tuned into the SEC on CBS with the GOAT, Vern Lundquist. Uh, and they previewed this year's SEC championship between Alabama and Georgia with a nice pump-up video with Vern and Brad Nessler. And they talked about passing the, cho- the torch, kind of how Bama has passed the torch to Georgia. Uh, until Saturday, obviously. Um, but 
Vern, Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson, and, and I know I got on the, the, the two latter guys there uh, with the with the call on the Penn State game, with the Big Ten getting some CBS shine this season, which which is good to see. I, I liked the vibe. I liked the feel, but uh, gave, gave them some shit for, for some of the calls on the Big Ten game. And maybe that, you know, they were just out of their element because for 26 years it was the SEC on CBS, and it was absolutely the best. Um, I don't even know what to say. It, it, it won't be the same, uh, and we'll get to we'll get to more about college football that that won't be the same in a few moments here. But obviously, got to talk about the games that transpired on the field, um, the big ones impacting and ultimately shaping the final four for this year's last four-team college football playoff. And it started Friday night with Oregon out to a 10-point favorite in Las Vegas over the Washington Huskies, losing outright to Michael Penix, Kalen DeBoer, and the Huskies, uh, who, who showed some grit, showed some fight, came out early through the opening punch and took a few back and got the job done, 13-0, and Pac-12 champs. And I think I think it was pretty pretty easy to see that they had punched their ticket Friday night, uh, no matter what happened on Saturday. Uh, we get to Saturday, starting at noon, and Texas has an opportunity to make a statement, and that they did by blowing out the Oklahoma State Cowboys, becoming the Big 12 champs at 12-1 and one, uh, with the lone blemish to the Oklahoma Sooners, but the best win to date uh, at Bryant-Denny Stadium over the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, the primo game of the weekend, the must-watch, uh, probably had the most eyes. SEC on CBS, 4 o'clock, Alabama, Georgia. And Alabama wins the game. 12-1, and SEC champ. And they take down the Georgia Bulldogs, who hadn't lost a game in, Christ, almost three years. Um. No great wins on the schedule this year for Georgia. Uh, I know Kirby Smart was hot, as was Mike Norvell of, of Florida State. Uh, but Kirby immediately after the game was was hot and, and passionate about his team being one of the best four and what we saw on the field on Saturday and Atlanta being two of the best four teams. And I think it's fair. Um, but when you look at the resume this year for Georgia, you played one big game, you lost – you you opened the game with a drive right down the field and a touchdown, and, and then pissed down your leg. So, Bama takes that and let the chaos ensue. We get to Saturday night, Big Ten championship, ACC championship. Should have just went to bed because both games were an absolute snooze fest. And the other thing I'd like to mention about the SEC on CBS and how great of a product it's been for close to 30 years is you get to the Big Ten championship game, and I've said it on this podcast before, like I consider myself a Gus Johnson fan. I consider myself a Joel Klatt fan and the All-American girl, Jenny Taft, on the sideline. Uh, they might have had another woman working the sidelines for, for the championship game. I wonder, I hope Jenny's okay, but Michigan wins Big Ten championship 26-0. to and it's a sludge of a game. You know, I, I was defense. If they had any 
resemblance of an offense on the other side of the ball. You know, Iowa's defense did enough to keep keep them keep the Hawkeyes in this game, but you just knew that Iowa wasn't going to score. We talked about last week their team total for the game being under a touchdown at six and a half. I think their first half team total was like a half of a point. So just a, a historic, historically bad offense for Iowa this year. And I don't even know what to say because people talk about how much respect they have for the program and what a great coach Kirk Ferentz is. And sure, defensively you can make that case, but offensively they're an embarrassment. But we had to listen to Clatt and Gus in the third quarter, try to keep us interested as I was clearly not going to score Michigan's defense holding them down. And yes, like I said, give the Iowa defense credit for hanging in there when the other side of the ball is non-existent. But they talked about Iowa defensive coordinator Phil Parker and his defense like it was the 1985 Bears and, and Coach Ditka. And I understand you need to keep people's interest in the game because the ACC game, what what a total slop fest that was as well. But, like, don't piss on my back and, and tell me that it's raining. I watched Penn State drop 31 on Iowa in September, and I know Michigan, like, ended up being the number one team, but, but their offense isn't – they're not world beaters. They're not 50-point-a-game scorers. They they wear you down. They they wear and tear. And yes, Iowa did a nice job against Corum in that run game, uh, and exposed a little bit of McCarthy at times. Like I think I I think if I'm Alabama, you know, get, getting looking ahead here, if I'm Alabama, I, you got to make JJ McCarthy beat you. Um, you, you stop the run and, and put it in his hands because over his career, I haven't seen a ton that that leads me to believe that that he can just toss it at will uh, especially against a team like Alabama with the athletes they have in the secondary but yeah the SEC on CBS will forever be remembered as the GOAT and uh, we'll we'll just turn it over to guys that in in the third quarter of of the most boring game ever uh, for a team that played you know, the, the Illinois and the, the Nebraska's and the Minnesota's and the Northwesterns of the of the world and had a great defense statistically um, just because, you know, they kept Michigan at bay, we'll say. They kept Michigan at bay. We had to talk about them like they were like this legendary defense and I don't th- I, I don't think it's fair. I don't I don't enjoy that nonsense. So Michigan wins. They get the one seed. Uh, and Florida State beats Louisville. Uh, I know Louisville was 10-2. I didn't think much of them. It was an ugly game. Florida State's on their third-string quarterback who missed half the season of practice, I think, with a thumb injury. So not a lot of prep time for him. I believe true freshman as well. Um, and they win the game. They win an ugly game. And Mike Norvell, after the game, says, you know, we've we've done everything we've had to do. We've fought through the adversity of losing our quarterback and, and our backup quarterback. Um, and I, I will I will say something that ha- was or is undervalued this year, you want to talk about a defensive unit. That Florida State defense, I, I think, 
could hold up against some of the better teams, some of the playoff teams. Uh, they have they have a number of NFL guys on that Florida State defense. Um, so it would have been interesting to see them get a month of prep, get get a backup quarterback back from a concussion uh, who's been in the system, in the program for a couple of years, and, and let Mike Norvell devise a game plan for just under a month for, for a college football playoff game. But that's not what happened. And I have to say, like, me personally, sitting there Saturday night at 12.30 a.m., with crusties in my eyes and falling asleep, the top four that we got on, on Sunday at 12 o'clock was the top four that I had. I tweeted it out, follow the show, at TFTS Pod on X. Michigan, Washington, Texas, Alabama. Uh, I don't think that's the four best teams. I don't think that's the four most deserving teams. Uh, I think if for the four best teams crowd, you'd have to make an argument for Georgia, despite the lack of resume this year. Uh, you know, it was a heavyweight battle with Alabama, and you know they they could win that game five times out of ten, six, seven times out of ten. They didn't get it done. Um, You'd have to talk about, obviously, Michigan, I think, and Texas, and Alabama. Um, I know people want to say, like, Ohio State. Ohio State is – I'm not going to say they're falling apart, but Kyle McCord hits the transfer portal. Uh, I think they have a number – I want to say they have double-digit guys in the transfer portal, Ohio State. They were not impressive this year outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. So, you know, four best, maybe Georgia, Bama, Texas, Michigan. Is that your actual four best talent-wise and, you know, team-wise? Probably. And then, you know, four most deserving, you have to go to the undefeated conference champions. That would be Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. And then with a head-to-head win in their pocket, on the road, you would have to put Texas as the fourth team. So the committee did not pick the most deserving four teams. They did not pick the best four teams. But if you followed this era of college football, how could you at all be surprised at what happened? Um, this is a business. It's a business for the CFP. It's a business for the committee. It's a business for ESPN. It's a business for the NCAA and the bowls, the host sites. It's all about the money. And I don't think Florida State with a backup, I don't think that's getting people fired up to to tune in. I mean, I, I, I think your diehards are tuning in, your diehard college football fans, but I don't think they wanted to recreate a TCU versus Georgia situation after that national championship game last year. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not something that I want to harp on or dive deep into. I think what the committee did was expected. Again, if you've been following this for as long as you have, like someone was going to get shafted. I told you last week, Florida state was going to get jobbed. They won. They got jobbed because of an injury. Is it right? No. Are they one of the four best teams? Without Jordan Travis, definitely not. They probably are with him. 
but he's out the year. But they were one of the most deserving teams. So that's tough. It's it's tough to stomach. I, and I, I don't have any issue with the comments from Norvell. You know, Kirby Smart, maybe a different story. You played one big game, you lost. But still, you know, George has been a a monster for two, three, four years now. So all I can say is I was not surprised at the four teams that were picked. I understand the gripes. I understand the debates. But at the end of the day, this is about money. This is about TV ratings. This is not about who deserves it. It's about a bunch of old athletic directors that don't watch all the games all year, but they got together on conference championship Saturday to sit together and watch watch the day games. And that's what they came to. So, and Bomb talked about the ACC last week, you know, being dead. I think I think college football is dead. But before I get to that, I want to get to my tweet of the week because you think about the college football playoff, you think about all of these scenarios, some that we went through last week, and just how we end up in these places uh, and with these four teams. And I saw this on Sunday. And you have to think back. Uh, this is Aubrey Bloom on X. When Alabama lifts the trophy, I hope everyone remembers this is all Auburn's fault for not defending a fourth and goal from the 31. An Auburn team, and that's the tweet from the 31, an Auburn team that lost the week prior to New Mexico State at home. Like that was SEC cupcake week and Auburn lost their their cupcake. And they had Bama on the ropes. They don't fumble a punt. They stop a fourth and 31. We can all feel feel bright and merry for, for Florida State getting in. But that's that's college football. That's that's college football. It's always going to be a debate. We're going to go to 12 teams. It's going to be a debate. But my thought on college football being dead is I think the committee is a microcosm of it with, with this selection. Because the resume didn't matter. It didn't matter what Florida State did after they lost their quarterback for the year. And it doesn't send a great message to to the players, to the athletes. But at the same time, the CFP made a business decision. And that's a microcosm of the business decisions that are happening across college football. Uh, with the SEC going to ESPN for TV deal. With the transfer portal. With NIL, um, it's like, I don't want to say it's professional. It's a, it's like amateur or minor league football now. It really is. And we're going to get to this 12-team playoff, and the conference champs will go, and then we'll have debates about teams 6 through 12. I just think the business decision that was made for the four-team, the last four-team playoff, is a reflection of all the business decisions that are being made across college football. And I don't I don't mean to be the old crow or the, the resistant to change guy, uh, but SEC on CBS, gone. Four-team playoff, gone. Conference rivalries, gone. Like, if, we, like if you saw the 
the projected 12 team bracket if we would have had 12 teams this year like you get a Penn State Ohio State rematch so what did the regular season game even mean like that's that's where we're going like the regular season is going to be diluted. Sure, we'll, we'll, on the on the on the plus side, we'll get more matchups. You know, Penn State, Washington, Ohio State, USC, Michigan, Oregon. Like we'll get that in the regular season. That's great. But what does it all really mean? So, yeah, I I, I don't know. On the whole, it's 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 a change, and it, it's becoming it's becoming you know minor league minor league football with it's all about the money. It's all about the money, and if you can't see that, I can't help you. Uh, but bomb, you got. I got to give bomb some credit. Got to give bomb some credit with all this change in college football, and it's all about the money. Um, he texted me Monday night and said, "I have a fix for the FSU situation that would be electric." And here it is. Since amateurism is out the window in college now anyways, allow each college team to invite one alumnus back for the college football playoff. Can only be used once in their lifetime. Player has to be re-signed before the selection show. Quote, FSU has re-signed Jameis Winston for the CFP, end quote. Imagine that. I love it, and it would be electric. You would that solves the Florida State situation. Bring back Jameis, Jordan Travis. You strong? I'm strong. I'll be strong for you. Do we get to that point? Probably not, but you could make an argument for it with all all the money flying around and, like Bob said, amateurism being gone in college football. It's just it's just a different it's a different game, it's a different animal, but it is a business first. Moving on from the college football playoff, a team that never sniffed, I should, they sniffed it, a team that never made or participated in the 14 playoff, the Penn State Nittany Lions. They're headed to the Peach Bowl. Let's double check this one, folks. They're headed to the Peach Bowl, baby. On Saturday, December 30th at 12 o'clock against the Ole Miss Rebels. Penn State finishing 10 in the final CFP rankings. Ole Miss finishing 11. I was hoping that Penn State would get get Liberty or get SMU, whoever got that non-Power 5 bid, uh, just so we could we could laugh at them. I was also kind of hoping that they got Georgia, an angry Georgia team, and got the piss beat out of them. Or heck, even Florida State, and maybe Florida State with with their great defense and their backup QB can embarrass JF once and for all. But JF was excited about the opportunity and receiving the invite to the Peach Bowl. He said, "We're one of the only programs that has an opportunity to win all six uh, all six New Year's Six bowls." Uh, so, so always a positive. Always. Um, something to put in the record book for JF, an opportunity to win another New Year's Six Bowl against Ole Miss on the 30th. But Penn State also making news last week since the last time we recorded and hiring a new offensive coordinator, and they went out and got Andy Kotelnicki. And apologies if, I but- if I'm but- butchering the pronunciation, but 
Uh, Andy Kotelnicki will be Penn State's new offensive coordinator. He was hired midweek last week, and he is the former offensive coordinator from Kansas. Uh, had to take to Wikipedia to learn about this fella. Sure, he's a nice guy, um, but he's worked as a coach since 2004, starting at Western Illinois as an offensive analyst, and then spent 17 years as an offensive coordinator across Wisconsin River Falls, Mary, Wisconsin Whitewater, and then in 2015 we get to a school I've actually heard of, Buffalo, and then for the last three seasons he's been at Kansas. Uh, I have two two ways to look at this hire, okay? Number one, the pessimist the pessimistic look uh, is that this guy is really not coached anywhere but Kansas, uh, and Kansas plays football in the Big 12. They also are a basketball school, so we're recruiting our OC from a basketball school, um, but also from a football conference where defense – is optional. So that's my that's my that's my sad take. The positive take I will say is that the last time we hired an offensive coordinator that we knew nothing about under James Franklin it was Joe Moorhead and that worked out pretty damn well. So do I think this guy comes in and can overcome Poor in-game management, uh, poor time management, poor go-punt decisions, poor timeout, uh, clock management, no. Um, So I I feel for the guy, but he's going to get a chance here to coach an offense that brings back Drew Aller, who was very uneven this year and good against the bad teams and bad against the good teams. And it sounds like the singletons of the world will be back. So something something to keep an eye on, but not not a game changer, not a game breaker for me, like it is for our boy Dan Orlovsky, saying that James Franklin hit it out of the park with this hire. Of, co- of course he did. I mean, who who on social media, who who in the mainstream of of sports is going to say, "Oh, bad hire, bad hire"? It's all it's all it's all rainbows and butterflies when they first bring them in. So we'll see how he does, and wish him well uh, in Happy Valley. Follow the show on Instagram at TFTS pod on X at TFTS pod. And let's move along. I want to talk for the second week in a row about the hockey team in this town, the hockey team in this city. Uh, I think when we were recording last week, the Flyers were taking on Carolina. They got shellacked four to one on home ice. They took the OT loss to the New Jersey Devils. Uh, as the young Hughes brothers, the rising stars in the NHL, tag-teamed uh, the Flyers' netminder for an overtime winner very quickly into overtime. But then we got two games with Pittsburgh, who continues to ride the the old aging core of Crosby, Malkin, and Latang into the sun with the addition of Eric Carlson this year and, and trading away assets and trying to keep it alive. And the fl- the young Flyers, the young spunky Flyers, go into PPG Paints Arena on Saturday night and win in a shootout with Sam Erson, the backup goalie. And they come home Monday night and win in overtime on a Sean Couturier overtime goal to win a home-and-home home against the Pittsburgh Penguins, a team that's going for it, and the Flyers are rebuilding. And those were two great games, two exciting games. 
But I just I think it's worth mentioning. I think it's worth monitoring um, because hockey. You know, I've soured on the Flyers over over the last decade, like I'm souring on Penn State football. And I think I think we're turning turning a corner, turning a page into a product that's worth monitoring, worth watching. Uh, maybe not at the top of your list, but a team that plays hard. And I mean, let's just go to the head coach, John Tortorella, to kind of encapsulate what this team is doing right now. And they're able to. No, to we make win the game because we got balls. We do. We we do stupid stuff. We don't make some plays sometimes. Um, lose sight of certain momentums in the games. Uh, a number of things we have to work on and try to get consistent at. But one thing we do have is balls. They got balls. They do. And you can see it with the way they play. I said it last week. They play hard. They have young young guys that are hungry. They have guys that could be dealt to a contender at the deadline and you know maybe want to try to earn a spot somewhere where they can go win a championship so there's stuff to play for for these guys there's guys maybe that are are vets or kind of in the midst of their career that want to be a part of the solution so this team's playing with a little chip on their shoulder and they're they're taking it to some teams that think that they're contending, uh, and and I think it's I think it's fascinating. I think it's it's a good watch. I think the building Monday night had some jump with with Pittsburgh in town and an overtime win, so it's exciting. And I I would say the young guy that I've got my eyes on is twenty twenty first round pick, and I think he played a little bit at the end of last year, but still technically a rookie is Tyson Forrester. He's got six points in his last four games. Four goals, two assists. Uh, he's got a rocket of a shot. Two snipes in the last two games against the Penguins, uh, but but he's also good along the walls and winning puck battles. And he's got the grit. So like this, this is like a Philly type of guy. So like when you're going through this so-called rebuild, despite being third in the division and being in the playoff spot at Thanksgiving and all that good stuff, like you just want to see like all right, who's actually going to be part of the solution? Like right now. Tyson Forrester, like, if this guy continues to play the way he does and continues to grow, he's 21 years old. Like, this is a guy that in five years you're like, okay, like, this is one of our guys when we're going for it. So, stuff to monitor. It's a long year, as I said. Um, is it sustainable? I don't know. But but the effort's there. They're, they're not going to get blown out or lay down to anybody, and I think that's something everybody in this town can get behind. And let's wrap the show quickly with picks of the week. We do have Army-Navy this weekend, one of the great traditions left in college football. Maybe that one will still be standing through realignment, through the the, uh, the new TV deals, through the transfer portal. We hope that Army-Navy will stand tall and stand out uh, coming down the road. But picks are brought to you by the Sharps app. Uh, join the free transparent sports betting community. Link your sports book. And share your verified bets and stats with the world, myself and Bob included. Uh, you can join by clicking the link in the episode description and signing up using promo code TFTS977. The man, Bomb, he is back. He's caught his breath. Uh, let me speak a little bit. And, uh, Bomb, we're just going to do NFL this week. We had a tough week last week. Uh, you lost with Oklahoma State. You had the push. Uh New England plus six. 
Chargers win six nothing. What a kick in the fucking dick. So we'll we'll call you we'll call you sixteen and eight. Uh, we can call you sixteen eight and one. No difference there. Uh, I went one and one as well, winning on Michigan, uh, losing on the Eagles. Uh, NFL. I will start because Bob. I know you'll cap it off with an exclamation point, but. I'm going back to a team that fired their coach in Frank Reich a few weeks ago. And you saw what you might say, a spirited effort against the Bucks in a cover in a 21-18 loss to Tampa Bay. Uh, they go to the Superdome to play New Orleans and the Saints. And Derek Carr is very banged up, ribs, concussions. It might be a Jameis Winston show. Uh, and I love fading a team the week after they fire the coach. So the first game, don't fade them, maybe back them. But the second game, all, all the juice is gone. Uh, we've seen it with the Raiders a little bit and Antonio Pierce. Give me the Saints minus five. They are in dire straits uh, in that NFC South. I like it, G. Did I say I'm 15 and 10? By the way, I'm at 15 and 10 for the season. We're 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 fading a little bit. I mean, the records still look good, but not as good as they did early in the year. So why don't you give us a winner bomb? Well, you know about how much research I put into this. I have not looked at the board at all. Um, literally, couldn't even log into the sports book. I don't I don't know if it's because I don't have internet here, uh, traveling on work, but I don't need to look at the book. Gee, I need to look at the heart. I need to look at the gut. I need to look at the soul. I need to look at the, the character. I need to look at the leadership of a franchise, of a football team, of a city, of a quarterback. Again, you know, you, I jumped on early. What's the line? I don't even know the line. It doesn't matter. Do you think I want to go and take the Eagles and the points in Big D? Do you think I want to sit here and hop on next week's podcast and sit here and say, oh, yeah, I'm um, – 17 and 8 with a winner, but the Eagles lost. I don't want to fucking do that. If the Eagles lose, I lose. Philadelphia Eagles, money line. We know what this team's about. We know what Jalen Hurts is about. We know what he does. We know where he's from. He's from Texas. He's going back to Texas. He's going into Jerry World, and he's doing a fucking job. He's getting these guys some rest heading into the playoffs. Philadelphia Eagles, money line. Plus 154. At the moment, for uh, for everybody out there, but I think I think it's a good omen, Bomb. When I when I pick the Eagles, I don't know that it always goes so well. When I pick against them, it doesn't go well. When you pick them to win to cover, it goes well. So I like it. Uh, we'll look forward to Sunday night in Jerry World, uh, and we'll wish you, Bomb, a safe trip home. Anything you want to leave the people with tonight? Keep the faith, folks. Keep the faith. I know not not a super positive episode, but again, have faith in the leader. Let's do a job. Have faith in Jalen, baby. Well, thank everybody for listening, and thank Bob for joining on his travels. We'll talk to everybody next week, Coberts. Oh,